The Vatican has extended its secret agreement with communist China. Why? And what will this mean for China's Catholics and religious minorities? Nina Shea and Stephen Mosher are here with analysis. Mother Teresa, No Greater Love is returning to theaters in early November. Executive producer Jim Wahlberg is here to talk about the movie and how Mother Teresa personally impacted his life and faith. Midterm elections are just around the corner. Are major changes coming to the U.S. Congress and state houses? Commentator and author David Limbaugh weighs in and discusses his new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The World Over. Begins right now. Now, Raymond Arroyo. A warm welcome to all of you joining us in the United States and the world over. A very important show for you tonight. If you'd like to comment, send me a tweet. I'm at Raymond Arroyo. Lots to cover this evening, but first, some news breaking from the Vatican. Uh, the working document guiding the next phase of the Synod on Synodality, the so-called continental stage, was released this week, titled, Enlarge the Space of Your Tent, a reference from Isaiah, it emphasizes inclusion, particularly the role of women in the church. Despite reports of scant participation in the local surveys relative to the overall Catholic population, the document seems to imply that whole countries are calling for the ordination of women to the priesthood. The National Catholic Reporter claims, quote, countries are calling for women's ordination. There's just one small issue. John Paul II said it was impossible for the church to ordain women. We'll discuss all of this with the papal posse, Robert Royal and Father Jerry Murray, next week on The World Over. You do not want to miss that. And on Saturday, the Vatican announced that their agreement with China has been extended for another two years. The provisional agreement was signed in 2018 and renewed in 2020. Since the signing of that agreement, religious freedom has worsened in China. Why extend an agreement a second time? Joining me to discuss this and much more is director of the Center for Religious Freedom at the Hudson Institute, Nina Shea, and president of the Population Research Institute and author of The Bully of Asia, Stephen Mosher. Thank you both for being here. I want to begin with what Cardinal uh, Pietro Parolin, the Vatican Secretary of State, said in an interview on Saturday about the Vatican's decision. Pope Francis, with determination and patient foresight, has decided to continue along this path, not under the illusion of finding perfection in human rules, but in the concrete hope of being able to assure Chinese Catholic communities, even in such a complex context, of the guidance of pastors who are worthy and suitable for the task entrusted to them." End quote. Nina, most of the dioceses have no bishops at this point. And I've received firsthand reports that the bishops the Chinese government have approved are just really government apparatchiks. So how are these men suitable 
or worthy pastors. Your reaction to the Vatican explanation here? Well, we're losing good men who are bishops. Uh, the, the Vatican rightly says the bishops are the life of the church, so the no. quality is very important. So mm -hmm. we've traded off eight who are either in prison, in detention, or like Cardinal Zen on trial, mm -hmm. political trial, at for six. And uh, that's how many new ones there are. A third of the dioceses are without bishops, as you say. And, and um, you know, you have bishops saying, uh, the new bishops, one of the new bishops from Sichuan, saying uh, he's going to celebrate the birthday party of the Communist Party of China on the solemnity of St. Peter's and Paul in his cathedral and urges the Catholic faithful to come hear the word of the party and receive the grace of the party. So um, this, yeah, this is um, this is a disaster. A Nina. disaster, and um, men who stood up to the bishops, who stood up to the Communist Party, and said, "We're not banning children from prayer. We're not. We're going to teach Christianity, bring them to Christ." Mm -hmm. That man is in detention. Has been for years. No one's seen him. Cardinal Zen prayed for him. Bishop Gia. Um, while he was free, now uh, Bishop uh, Cardinal Zen is uh, caught in, uh, in the dock, yeah. literally. Facing trial. <laughs> Facing in trial Hong in Hong Kong. Uh, the agreement documents have never been made public, the, the, this Vatican-China agreement. But Vatican officials say it outlines procedures for ensuring that Catholic bishops are elected by the Catholic community in China and approved by the Pope before their ordinations and installations. In the past four years, only six bishops have been named and installed under the terms of this agreement. In his interview, Cardinal Paroline noted that the achievements of the agreement, uh, these are some of the achievements, lifting the excommunications of irregular status of seven bishops who had been ordained with government approval but not the Vatican's consent. He went on to say, many dioceses are still without bishops or very elderly bishops, but the process is continuing. There are dioceses in which, despite all efforts and goodwill, no fruitful dialogue exists with local authorities. Stephen, this sounds like a failed agreement. I mean, the Vatican does not choose the bishops. The CCP does. There are not enough bishops, and the Vatican has been forced to recognize those who have been excommunicated for good reason in most cases. Your thoughts, and what has the Vatican gotten out of this agreement? Well, let's go, let's go back to what Pope Francis said several years ago. He said the agreement was uh, signed in order to provide good shepherds for preaching the gospel in China and reestablishing, um, you know, full and, and visible unity in the church. Uh, and, and last month, he said that the commission is going very well. It's going slowly because the Chinese pace is slow. They have an eternity to go forward. There are people of endless patience. Uh, you know, uh, Pope Francis is not dealing with the Chinese people. Raymond, he's dealing with the Chinese Communist Party, whose leader is a brutal dictator, cut from the same cloth as Mao Zedong, uh, Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin, all the great monsters of human history. Mm -hmm. And Xi's goals, he made clear in a speech last December, are to bring every religion in China, and I'm not talking just about Catholic, but Catholic, Protestant, Muslim, Taoist, Buddhist, under the direct control of the Chinese Communist Party, and make it serve his own purposes. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the leader of China, who just uh, installed himself as dictator for life at the 20th Party con Congress, it was an amazing show of unity among the hundreds of puppets who sat there and raised their right hands mm -hmm. uh, and clapped in unison to make sure that she knew that they, they liked him because otherwise they'd be dead men walking. Right. Uh, anyway, yeah. Xi Jinping 
has said that any religion that does not teach its members to love the party and to love National Socialism is a backward religion, backward religion, engaged in illegal religious activities and must be stamped out. Mm. So, so look, the, 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 the Chinese Communist Party's goals here are very clear. Uh, they want to stamp out the underground church, and, and of course, they've, uh, they've used the agreement to accomplish that. Mm. They want to co-opt the visible church to promote the party line and national socialism and Sup Supreme Leader Xi Jinping. Its long-term goals here are to decapitate the church hierarchy while slowly strangling the church out of existence. And how are they decapitating the church hierarchy? We've already talked about the fact there are 100 Cs in China. Uh, about a third of them are empty. At the current pace of Episcopal appointments, you mentioned six, mm. uh, they will not only not fill those 33 empty seats, there will be more and more empty seats each year because the average mm. age of Chinese bishops, the patriotic church is in their 60s. They'll be retiring at the rate of three, four, five a year. Uh, China, the Chinese Communist Party is only appointing one, maybe two. Mm. So what is that? That is a slow-rolling effort to decapitate the Catholic Church in China and ultimately leave them with no bishops, except a couple who are actually yeah. no Communist Party members. Nina, what you said a moment ago, and what I hear Stephen say here, it does remind me of what Cardinal Zen said, sitting in the chair you're sitting today, and it almost makes me want to punch the hole in this table, because he warned everybody as he sat there mm -hmm. that if you sign this agreement, you're selling out the yeah. Chinese people, and the gospel, more importantly, the gospel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile, how do you think these officials reconcile the distortion and twisting of the gospel being used as a vehicle to promote a political agenda and Marxism, mm -hmm. no less? Yeah, well, the church has come directly under the control of the United Front of the Communist Party now in China. So it is being used for propaganda purposes. And that's one of the worst things of this agreement that the underground has is being rounded up and they're being tricked. The, the secrecy of the contents of the agreement is being represented, misrepresented by the Chinese government as a requirement to join the patriotic United Front controlled church. And so maybe some of these priests uh, think that this is what the Pope wants. And um, it's not. The Pope has, the, the Vatican has said, you don't have to do this um, if you have a conscience a conflict. And um, so it's being wiped out. It's being crushed. That was the alternative. That's the way to go if you don't have an agreement, to go all in on that. Instead, uh, the Vatican does not say a word. It's silent about the fact that the head of its underground seminary is now disappeared into detention. He was arrested under this agreement, uh, uh, you know, a year or so ago. So it's... Um, I had not heard that. That's yeah, just shocking. This is Bishop Zhang. Yeah. And um, so he... Uh, uh, you know he's he's gone, and uh, the church is 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 uh, cr being crushed. Also, there's not going not only there's not going to be any bishops in a couple in a generation. No faithful. Not, there's not going to be any faithful. Right. You're, uh, you're killing children, the church. Yeah, if children Just can't. what Cardinal Zen said. Mm -hmm. The Vatican's suggesting, however, that this agreement is not primarily about diplomatic relations with China. Rather, in the words of Cardinal Paroline, quote, it mainly concerns aspects that are essential to the daily life of the church in China. I'm thinking, for example, of the validity of sacraments celebrated mm -hmm. and the certainty for millions of Chinese faithful that they will be able to live out their faith in full 
Catholic communion without thereby being suspected of not being loyal citizens to the country. Nina, the CCP issued regulations on religious affairs back in 2018. Mm -hmm. It required Catholic priests who minister in China to legally sign away any allegiance to yeah. the church and to sign support for the Communist Party of China. Correct. They are only allowed to minister in government-sanctioned places. Minors under 18 may not enter that church. How is it possible to live out full Catholic communion under these circumstances? Quickly. Well, I think that the only way you can do it is outside the official churches at this point. It's it's going to be very tough. And, mm. um, you know, they say it's not about diplomacy, but yet when you read their their statements over and over again, they're emphasizing that they just want to stay in the game. They want That is the Vatican. They want to keep diplomatic. You know, the Pope said to Reuters last July that this is the art of diplomacy, the, the art of the possible, the, the diplomatic art of the possible. Yeah. And that Cardinal and, and, and it's always speaking out to... It's always, yeah, it's always in the future, you know, that mm -hmm. this is going to bring fruit. And, in fact, you know, I'm not sure it is continuing, like Cardinal Paroline said. There haven't been any Episcopal appointments in the last year, well, for a year. So, it is bearing fruit for the Chinese Communist yeah. Party. I think it's, yeah. the fruit is abundant. In an interview published on the Vatican media, uh, in the Vatican media, rather, on Saturday, Cardinal Luis Antonio Tagle, the prefect of the Congregation for Evangelization of People, he defended the Vatican's decision to renew this provisional agreement with China, uh, saying the Holy See signed the agreement, quote, and Steve, I want you to react to this, to safeguard the valid apostolic succession and the sacramental nature of the Catholic Church in China. And this can reassure, comfort, and enliven, enliven baptized Catholics in China. Stephen, your appraisal of that statement. Well, I just don't think that uh, the good Cardinal Tagle really understands what's happening in China. They are now writing sermons for priests and pastors in China to give, uh, as sermons that conform to the line of the Chinese Communist Party and, of course, uh, demote God to, uh, to second place, and he should be in first place. Now, they've rewritten the Bible, changing key passages so that, for example, in the story of the woman caught in adultery, uh, after uh, Jesus actually... Uh, convicts the others of their sins and they drop their stones and go away. In the Chinese Communist Party version of the Bible, Jesus then stones the woman to death himself. Can you imagine how horrific it is to have to sit in a Catholic church in China and hear these passages r r read and, and hear these sermons given? Uh, it's not promoting the life of the church in China by any means. When asked for his response to critics who say the Holy See's dealings with China have led to the Vatican's silence on the sufferings of Chinese Catholics, Cardinal Tagle said, quote, in dialogue, the Holy See has its own respectful style of communicating with representatives of the Chinese government, but which never ignores and indeed always makes present the situations of suffering Catholic communities, which sometimes arise from inappropriate pressures and interference. Nina, your reaction to this? Um, yeah, that is a wild understatement of what's happening. It's incorrect. They're being persecuted. They're being restricted, suppressed. The faith is being crushed. And uh, they're doing it in um, high-tech ways that blanketed with surveillance, uh, social credit scores where they're denied uh, opportunities in the country, even an opportunity to get on a fast train or to uh, get an apartment, yeah. um, you know, as a, as a punishment. And some are being put in these uh, black jails and indoctrinated with communist thought. So um, that's a, a wild understatement, and, it, and that's one of the worst parts of the, this agreement and the Vatican's 
agreement to be silent and to praise and to actually have its um, officials, like the cardinal that you just quoted, um, praising the Chinese, giving them credit, uh, it covers up the atrocities that are going on, even in the wider, uh, as well in the wider community, mm -hmm. uh, the genocide of Uyghurs, the right. forced organ harvesting, forced abortions, forced sterilizations in mass numbers. They are absolutely silent about this. And um, the world is unprepared for what China wants to do, which is to uh, impose its order and its system on the rest of us mm -hmm. to destroy the world order that has existed from World War II that's been led by the United States in the name of uh, freedom mm. and uh, non-aggression yeah. um, and sovereignty. And human rights and, and, and human freedoms. Yes. All that shock. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Stephen, the, the Cardinal Togley there says this is a deal of mutual respect. Your thoughts on that? And what do you think he's referring to as inappropriate pressure and interference that causes uh, the suppression of these communities, essentially? Well, I suppose that Cardinal Tagle is suggesting that we should all just be quiet and and uh, and, and not say anything about the agreement, despite the obvious uh, fact that it is not working to protect the faithful in China. I think the thought of the Vatican early on was that, yes, uh, the church is being persecuted outside the walls of the church, but if we can get the Chinese Communist Party to agree that inside the walls of the church, people will be free to worship and practice their faith, uh, we will achieve something. In fact, they're not free inside the walls of the church. Mm -hmm. And much of what happens in China depends on the character of the leader. And we now have mm -hmm. a dictator in China who is, who is again, uh, like Mao Zedong, who's determined to be dominant in all areas of life. And his right-hand guy, just to give you one example, his right-hand man now, Xi Jinping's new right-hand man, is the former head of Shanghai, the same local tyrant who locked mm. down 26 million Shanghainese for a couple of months over a few cases of COVID. Why? Because Xi Jinping told him to do so. It was a loyalty test, and the guy who was most loyal and most cruel to his own people, 26 million people of Shanghai, mm. got promoted to be Xi Jinping's right-hand man. Uh, High-tech tyranny in China is getting ever more sophisticated. You know, in the old days, the Chinese officials in the villages used to say, uh, the emperor, you know, the mountains are high and the emperor is far away, so they could run their local affairs. Uh -huh. uh, today, Xi Jinping is only as far away as your nearest smartphone, which, of mm. course, is always watching, listening, and tracking people. Uh, so Nina mentioned the social credit system, the surveillance cameras, and, and that is applied uh, with double vigor and double, double zeal to Catholics mm. in China, who are automatically suspect of being unpatriotic because of their loyalty, at least the head of their church, uh, lives outside of China mm. in Rome, Italy. I, I want to move on, Nina, to an article you wrote. You referenced it a moment ago uh, in the National Catholic Register. Uh, at, at, at last week's 20th Chinese Communist Party Congress, President Xi cemented his power with the third term, vowed to double down on what he calls socialism with Chinese characteristics. And he went on to say, quote, Marxism is the fundamental guiding ideology upon which our party and our country are founded and thrive. How should you, the U.S. respond to this? Well, one thing it has to do is make sure we don't imitate them or allow that their agents inside our country, as they are now doing, mm. to uh, intimidate 
and uh, you know uh, kidnap people around the world. An NGO in Spain just came out with a, a stunning report, right. um, Raymond, that says that almost a quarter million uh, Chinese nationals have been uh, abducted and taken back or persuaded to go back to China for punishment. Yeah. And uh, the Justice Department just this week brought another case against some of them. Yes. And there is another case the Justice Department brought that... And these um, are these overseas police stations yes. of China mm -hmm. in, in other Outpost. countries. Yes. And I'll let you comment on that in a moment, uh, Stephen, but go on, finish it. Yeah, so, so there were... Uh, one of the Justice Department cases uh, arrested Chinese for um, uh, agents of the CCP for trying to in stop and intimidate uh, protesters along the Olympic torch route in the United States because it could embarrass China. Hmm. So this is what's going on under our nose here and on U.S. campuses, college campuses, with the Confucius Institutes, and sometimes they've changed their names. Hmm. So it's uh, it's a, a terrible situation. We have to stop um, stop this, stop them, and we have to prepare and understand what the nature of this regime. Hmm. Stephen, your reaction to all of this uh, and your thoughts about they are. You mentioned it a moment ago. The Chinese have become so sophisticated in their surveillance, the ability of their intelligence to reach out. Uh, I had an intelligence uh, agent tell me oh, a few weeks ago that um, he has concerns that they may have reached all the way, not only into our own country and our own government, but to the Vatican as well. Your thoughts? Oh, I think that they're, they're, they're trying to pry secrets out of governments everywhere in the world. And having been in, as you have, inside the Vatican and seen people on their, uh, no, 1999 computers <laughs> and even in some cases using old typewriters, uh, it wouldn't be difficult, I think, to penetrate whatever firewalls the Vatican has put up. Mm. Uh, China's very sophisticated in stealing intellectual property uh, in cyber attacks. And I have no doubt that uh, they know, they know per perhaps before... Uh, uh, the Vatican officials themselves, what what is being uh, what is being discussed in mm. Vatican circles? Wow, um, very good at that. And and the other thing about about the Chinese Communist Party is is like all communist parties, it is a missionary party. It wants to spread its ideology throughout the world. And and the Chinese Communist Party particularly thinks that the world is simply not big enough uh, for two different systems. It is not big enough for the system that we set up after World War II, led by the United States, and the system run by the Chinese Communist Party of a one-party dictatorship. And they are determined, at the end of the day, they believe that only one country, one system will be left standing. Their 100-year plan, which is supposed to reach fruition in, in, in 2049, uh, says that they will be the dominant power on the planet. They will be economically dominant, politically dominant, and military dominant. And uh, and, and we have to make sure that we understand that China is at war with us uh, across all dimensions, except the kinetic. They're not firing bullets at us, mm -hmm. but they're at war with us in cyberspace. They're at war with us in economic terms. And uh, we, we, the last thing we want is to be in a, another Cold War. But if your enemy is at war with you, then you're at war whether you want to be or not. Yeah. Right? Nina, I'm going to give you the final comment here. Why? I, I ask this almost every time we, we entertain this question. Why, given all the carnage, given the destruction of church property, mm. the contraction of the people in the pews, mm. and the en enslavement and jailing of faithful Catholic bishops and priests, why would the Vatican once again sign this deal with China? What are they getting out of it? Um, it's hard to know. Uh, there may be various reasons, but what they don't really understand is that there is a war of ideology being waged by Xi Jinping and the Communist Party of China, and that they're on, they're they're siding with on that side. They are not fighting back for religious freedom 
or for human rights and human dignity. Okay, we will leave it there. Nina Shea, Stephen Mosier, thank you both for being here. Uh, I want to remind you, uh, Stephen's book, Bully of Asia, is the definitive work on China's plan for global dominance. It's available at bookstores everywhere. You can also find Nina Shea's great work at the HudsonInstitute.org, correct? Correct. Thank All you. All right. Thank you both. And The Wise Men Who Found Christmas, my new book's available at bookstores everywhere and online. It has consistently been a top-selling Christmas release at Amazon. I want to thank you for that. It's a really fun, spectacular read for the whole family. I hope you'll come see me on tour. I'll be at the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception right here in Washington, D.C., Saturday, October 29th at 11 a.m. And then the Barnes & Noble in my hometown, New Orleans, in Metairie, Louisiana, on Saturday, November 12th. Go to RaymondArroyo.com for all the details. Of course, the book's also available at the EWTN catalog and wherever books are sold. You will love it. The documentary Mother Teresa, No Greater Love, which debuted in theaters earlier this month, is coming back to theaters by popular demand. Its two-night debut in October, uh, top of October, generated more than $1.2 million in ticket sales. What was the inspiration behind the film, and why is it doing so well at the box office? Executive producer Jim Wahlberg joins us now to discuss. Jim, thanks for being here. How did this film come about, and how long did it take to produce? So the film came about by way of the Knights of Columbus and, uh, and their in-house director-producer, David Naglieri. Um, you know, they wanted to bring this great saint to this new sort of younger generation and to explain to them and to share with them the unbelievable um, work that Mother Teresa had done, Saint mm -hmm. Mother Teresa. I always want to remember to uh, when I met her, she was Mother Teresa. Right. So I want to make sure to give her her due. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's hard. We I, I knew her as Mother Teresa too, and you know it's yeah. a it's kind of hard to you know to slip the saint in there. Ditto for John Paul. Um, but this yeah. film was filmed on five continents. Uh, access yes. to Mother Mother Teresa's archives, as well as the sisters and the apostolates of the missionaries of charity. Are you surprised the film has done so well with only two days in theaters? I mean, to be honest, I'm, I was slightly surprised at at the the um, the box office results, but mm -hmm. I got to tell you, I think people are starved mm. for this kind of, um, the, you know, particularly Catholic folks are starved mm -hmm. for things that they can actually go to the movies and see. Yeah, yeah, and have that communal experience. And this was one of um, Phantom Events' largest Christian, uh, most successful Christian releases of the year. Correct. It was indeed. It was the number one Catholic film this year, uh, Phantom mm. Release. Now, uh, Jim, you met Mother Teresa in prison. We talked about it a while back when you released your memoir. Uh, remind people how that happened, how you came to meet her, and the mm. impact she had, the lasting imprint on your life. Well, you know, I, I was in the process of hustling the Catholic priest that was the chaplain um, at the prison that I was in. Um, trying to get access to his phone and to his cigarettes and his coffee. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he was trying to lead me back to the foot of the cross. And um, he gave me a job. And maybe a week or two after I started that job, he came to me and said that we had a very special guest coming to the prison. And I said, mm -hmm. really, Father, who is that? 
And he said, Mother Teresa is coming to this prison. And I said, that's incredible, Father. Who's Mother Teresa? Because I honestly didn't know who she was. I probably didn't know who the president was at that point in my life either because I was just, I was really damaged from, from uh, drugs and alcohol. Mm. Um, but then the day came and she entered the prison and, uh, and for the first time in my life I experienced what true humility looked like. Um, and for me there was a certain point uh, in looking at her that I, I felt like I was looking at the face of God. Um, she, when, she when, when Mother Teresa finally did go up onto the altar and speak, um, she said words that I had never heard before. She, she said to me specifically that Jesus died for me and that I was more than the crimes that I had committed, that I was a child of God. And I never heard those words before. So she was completely responsible for me running back to Father Freitas the next day to find out more about the God that she was talking about, not the God that I was raised with, the God of wow. uh, he's going to get you for all the things yeah. that you've done wrong. Now, when you, when you see Mother Teresa, uh, for, and for those who've been blessed enough to have been in her presence, mm. but even to see her on film, um, that, you, know, you know, what was that, that St. Francis line? Preach the gospel, use words if necessary. Mm. She really didn't need the words, Jim. She was the living yeah. embodiment of that gospel in every gesture, in every movement, in every sigh and, uh, and touch. Um, I want to give people a taste of the film, Jim. Let, let me show this. Uh, this is Mother Teresa speaking about how she saw people. Watch. Every person is Christ for me, and that's why and since there is only one Jesus, then that person is only one person for me at that moment. It is that continual uh, contact with Christ in his poor, like we have during Mass and, um, and the Blessed Sacrament. Mm. That's a clip from that old um, uh, Petri film about Mother Teresa that is so powerful. And I love how they incorporate that into this new work. It's been mm. 25 years since Mother Teresa died, Jim. An entire generation's grown up without knowing her. Uh, what's been the reaction of audiences? What are you hearing, particularly from encountering her mission mm. in this way? Mm. So uh, uh, we did a screening. Uh, a friend of mine bought a theater out in, mm -hmm. in our neighborhood, and our faith community came together to see the film together. Mm -hmm. And um, some, uh, a really dear friend of mine and his wife, who are Protestants, came to the movie uh, to support me. Uh -huh. And um, his wife came up to me afterwards and said these words to me. She said, this movie changed me. Mm. Um, I think that people, when people see sort of the lengths that mother was willing to go to serve the poorest of the poor mm -hmm. and the weakest of the weak and the, the thrown away, um, it touches them in a very, very special way. And for me, it's awesome because, you know, here's this woman that sort of appeals to everyone, right, because of the work that she did. And then she was also this great defender of life, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, and it, I think it helps to carry that message of life to maybe a group that's not necessarily always open to hearing about mm. that. Yeah, and it wasn't only the unborn and the poorest of the poor Amen. in the gutters of Calcutta. It was prisoners. It was, I remember when I was in New York at the time, Mother mm. Teresa was the only one who opened AIDS houses uh, down in, the, mm. in Greenwich Village to care for these men who'd been discarded. Again, 
thrown away. Mm -hmm. And it was she and Cardinal O'Connor and her sisters who were willing to go and touch and bathe and care for these men at the end of their lives. The film also focuses, Jim, on her relationship with another saint. We mentioned him a moment ago, St. John Paul II. Mm. Uh, what was that relationship like? How did it affect her and vice versa, do you think? Mm. I mean, think about two great saints that lived in our lifetime. They came together, right? And they had this, this mutual respect and love. Uh, and I think, I think uh, St. Pope John Paul learned so much from Mother Teresa mm. and um, in, in her sort of serving the poor, the poorest of the poor. He told her to go to the places, go everywhere that they ask you to go, go to the places that I can't go, hmm. carry the message of Jesus to everyone. And I want to just back up one second, Raymond, yeah. and just talk just about Mother, St. Mother Teresa seeing Jesus in everybody. Yeah. Could we learn something from that, right? Mm. Um, you know, just each person that was in front of her was the most important person in the world to her mm. in that moment. You know, we're yeah. so caught up in cell phones and distractions and news and you name it. Um, politics and she would take the time this hugely famous and important person that she was right yeah. she would take that time that moment to be with you and not to be distracted you know I've had the the pleasure and sometimes not such a pleasure to meet many many you know famous celebrities whatever athletes mm -hmm. and there's always a tendency for them to kind of talk to you and be all over the place mm. at the same time, looking what's going on beyond you. Right. And um, for her to say those words and for her to remind us mm. to be focused on who's in front of you and that this is right. Jesus in front of you mm -hmm. is, is just such a blessing and it's such an, an awakening for me. The, the movie also illustrates, Jim, you mentioned it a moment ago, that mother did not shy away from uh, the truth or her fight for the most vulnerable in mm. society. In her acceptance mm. speech for the Nobel Peace Prize in Norway in 1979, Mother Teresa had this to say to world leaders. The greatest destroyer of peace today is the cry of the innocent, unborn child. To me, the nations who have legalized abortion, they are the poorest nation. For the child is the greatest gift of God to a family, to a nation, and to the whole world. God bless you. Mm. Jim, how do you think modern audiences react to those words? People seeing that today. <sighs> I think sometimes, you know, the words and the message uh, the messenger matters, mm. right? I think that when somebody, you know, there's many sort of uh, people that disagree with maybe my position on life um, have many sort of things to say about, you know, what, how important it is to me only to save that life, but what else after that, mm -hmm. right? And mother was prepared to go as far as it, 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 need, it, it needed to go to serve yeah. and to save. Yeah. Right. And her her the fact that she was just so courageous, 
right? Mm -hmm. It didn't matter who was in the room or who was in front of her when it came to that particular issue. Mm -hmm. She would tell the truth. Yeah. She she wouldn't shy away from it. And she she had no fear. Yeah. Um, well, she's I love a great great example for us all. Well, I love in that clip, Jim. Also, you see the radiance. I always tell people when she walked in the room, the room mm. just lit up. You see the radiance when she's talking. It's that message is given with such love, and you feel the yep. tension all around her because people don't know what to do with that. Um, but she yep. she did. She had that not only the power of conviction, that joy that just spilled out of her. Yet. She admitted to periods of spiritual darkness while she was serving the poorest of the poor. And, and the film actually captures and addresses some of that as well. What effect did that have, that spiritual darkness, the dark night of the soul mm -hmm. she went through for decades? What did it teach her and us about our relationship with Christ? Wow. You know, um, <clears throat> for years, Mother did not feel the presence of God in her life, right? Mm -hmm. But every day she got up and did his bidding. Mm -hmm. And every day, each person that she came in contact with was a reflection of Jesus for her. It was Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. So although she didn't feel his presence, she was in his presence. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine. Could you imagine? No. Like, I don't feel God's love or presence. I feel he's abandoning me. But yeah. still, I get up every day and do his bidding. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, That's a hard you know, path. I mean, we feel the grace. We feel the grace. We feel his yeah. mercy. We see it. Right. And she didn't. But every day. And, you know, when you watch the film, you learn that when you traveled with mother, right, you were up at four or five o'clock in the morning and yeah. you ran all day long yeah. serving as many people as possible during the day. Yeah, no, she was incredible to watch and, and you know, to Amen. have seen her in D.C., in New York, uh, all around the world and watch her in action was, uh, it, it was a force of nature, but a, mm. a, a mission that was boldly carried forward with zeal. And that is something I, I, we need to recapture, I think, in the church and in Christianity. What was your reaction, Jim? I, I want to leave people with this. When you saw the movie the first time, did anything surprise you? Did anything kind of startle you? Hmm. Um, I'll be honest with you. Yeah. I, w I, I, I was so emotional, and I, I think I cried so much. Mm. You know, sometimes I think, so I had this personal experience, right? I was yeah. in, in a very dark place with very dark and dangerous people. And the way I look at it is, is that Jesus sent his number one assistant on earth for me specifically. That's why I feel about my encounter with, with Mother Teresa. Yeah. And um, to see other people and to hear their testimonies and their experiences with Mother, um, it made it, you know, it made, it was always very personal for me. It made it much bigger for me, yeah. right? That she had this impact on so many people mm. and not just the people in the film, but the people that, you know, like the lepers, that nobody yeah. would touch, nobody would come near, and she mm. would embrace them and hold them and, and touch them. Yeah. And um, it was a very emotional. And just now I could feel the emotion um, thinking about the impact on each one of those people that she had because I know the impact. Yeah. I felt the impact. Well, you and know, she followed is, up. Uh, you know, she would not only mm. touch a life, she would continue and follow up. Look, I, I, I interviewed her one time, Jim, uh, the first time, and I handed her a letter, a little note. I said, could you pray mm. for this intention? 
She wrote yeah. me back two of the most beautiful letters, and they're mm -hmm. months apart. In her, you know, she would right. type them herself or write them by hand. I mean, I still have them mm -hmm. at, the, at the house. But they were instrumental, really, in just moving me in the direction I needed to move. Uh, and knowing that you had that kind of spiritual force behind mm. you, um, and that that tender mother's touch, which she offered not only me, the whole world, you mm. and so many others. Amen. I'll give you the final word. Amen. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I think about the day that she came to that prison, and the day that she humbly refused to go up on the altar for the entire mass but only to go up when it was her time to speak, hmm. but instead to choose to stay there with the thrown away and the forgotten men in that prison on mm -hmm. her knees. Um, it mm -hmm. touched me in, in such a profound way that, you know, and continues to touch me, right? Yeah. All these years later, here I am now involved in a film about her. Li I'm living such a very different life and I'm serving mm -hmm. God um, the way I was intended to serve God. Yeah, well, and her mission continues through you and others like you. So, yeah, Jim Wahlberg, Amen. thank you for being here. And I want to remind everybody, Mother Teresa, No Greater Love, will be back in theaters on November 2nd in the U.S. for one night only. The film will also debut in the U.K. and Canada on November 2nd and 3rd. Then on the November 7th, U.S. theaters will run a Spanish version of the film. Go to fathomevents.com for a list of theaters and showtimes. Jim, thank you for being here. I could go on for another hour. Thanks, my friend. Thank you, Raymond. Take care. God bless. God bless you. Midterm elections in the U.S. are right around the corner. How might economic and foreign policy issues affect the outcome on November 8th? Commentator David Limbaugh is here to weigh in and talk about his new book, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. David, thanks for being here. Uh, I want to get to the new book, The Resurrected Jesus, in a moment. But let's start with these midterm elections. The polls seem to indicate a red wave coming. Uh, the party of the president generally does poorly in midterms. What do you see coming on November 8th? And what do you think is driving voters this season? Well, I think we have, uh, in every metric, uh, we are doing terrible in this country. Uh, and it's all attributable to Joe Biden. And I think the voters are even even the uninformed or the low information voters are smart enough to understand that Biden is primarily responsible, that the far leftist extreme policies are responsible. And so I do think there's going to be a red wave. I'm, we're talking the economy, the border, mm -hmm. uh, the law mm -hmm. and order, the disintegration of everything that is good and true in this country, the celebration of evil. I think people are horrified at what's going on. And I think there's going to be a substantial red wave. I don't know if I'd call it a tsunami, but I think it might approach that, honestly. Okay. David, the economy is sure to be a major issue. I mean, currently the U.S. inflation rate is around 8.2%, could be higher. Prices continue to rise for food, housing, health care. Interest rates are up. The Biden administration has attempted to counter this with uh, the passage of the so-called Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, and, and meanwhile, the Democrats are hoping the cultural issues like uh, abortion or the, the repeal of Roe v. Wade will somehow drive voters. What do you say? What do you think is going to predominate here? I think the, the, the constellation of issues I mentioned and, the, and you mentioned, but I do think the, the uh, law and order and energy and the economy, in, in all aspects of the economy, the inflation, are going to drive it. And they, they cannot... Uh, generate enough fear on the abortion issue 
to, to counter this. In fact, I'm not even sure if people had any clue what this is about. This is not some kind of a judicial activism from the right. It has returned the prerogative of the issue of abortion to the states. Mm. And so their, their efforts to make it extreme and to paint us as extreme on this, I think, will fall short. Mm. And you only have the far extremists who are going to vote that way anyway. I don't see how it would move the needle as yeah. to those independents and undecided. And yet yeah. all the other issues, the kitchen table issues, the law and order, mm. and the national security, everything uh, is mm -hmm. in favor of Republicans. Uh, David, before I get to the book, everybody's talking about this Pennsylvania Senate race between John sure. Fetterman and, and Dr. Mehmet Oz. Uh, Fetterman's fitness for office is being questioned after that disastrous debate performance the other night. Uh, what is your take on Fetterman's fitness for, for the office to be a senator and represent the people of Pennsylvania, regardless of party affiliation? Is he a viable candidate? It's He's phenomenally incompetent. Of course, so is Joe Biden, and he's president. So is Kamala Harris uh, in a different way. Uh, and so is Nancy Pelosi. So what, what we're so polarized, and the left so hates the right these days, that their main uh, incentive to vote is to keep another Republican vote from reaching the Senate. So I'm not sure how much they'll care about it, but there are enough people who will care about it that I think mm. this... Uh, election will go in Oz's favor. It's too bad we don't have a better candidate. I mean, Oz yeah. is an okay candidate, but to yeah. me, he's not uh, the kind of conservative that I would like to see there. Yeah. I hope he's a reliable vote once he gets there. But I do think he'll win. And yeah. Fetterman is demonstrably, embarrassingly incompetent. And anybody who denies that uh, ought to have, have to take a polygraph. <laughs> David, I want to move on to your book, uh, The Resurrected Jesus, The Church in the New Testament. Now, this is the fifth and the latest, really, in a series of books on Jesus that you have authored. Uh, in it, you examine St. Paul's prison and pastoral epistles, uh, how he goes about building up the early church. In your introduction, you write, Paul is a tireless evangelist. He plants many churches throughout his missionary journeys, and the new faith takes off like wildfire, with thousands becoming believers committed to Christ and to growing the church. But Paul realizes the church won't continue to flourish on its own, especially given Rome's hostility to the burgeoning movement, as well as the aging of the apostles. He knows it's imperative to equip the younger leaders and workers with practical knowledge to carry on his work. Uh, David, w what is important to remember about this stage of Paul's ministry that you outline in these seven epistles? Well, it's interesting that what is important then is still important. It's timeless, and that is uh, Paul was admonishing the churches who were succumbing to false teachers and false teaching and incorrect doctrinal statements that they must adhere to the gospel mm -hmm. and, and that they mu must not let uh, these false teachers convince the congregants, the new believers, that salvation was by faith plus adherence to Jewish, uh, Jewish rites, rituals, or circumcision. It's faith in Jesus Christ is what leads to salvation. And that he also had to correct those who, who were succumbing to this, move, this kind of a precursor to the Gnostics who said that Jesus Christ couldn't be uh, human, mm. that because human um, material, the material world is evil. He could only be spiritual. Therefore, he really didn't die on the cross. Of course, as you and I know, that cuts to the very heart of the gospel. Right. And if you, and if you uh, incorrectly dilute the gospel, you rob it of its life-saving power. And mm. Paul could not tolerate that. 
And that's exactly what we're experiencing today, both in your Catholic church and my Methodist church. Uh, we have to stand up for truth. Paul gave us the template. We don't have to pretend to be unifiers. We don't have to worry about being tolerant and trying to please man instead of God. We have to adhere to the biblical truth, and we have to preach it loudly mm -hmm. and unapologetic, unapologetically like Paul did. Yeah. David, you had a little help uh, on this outing in The Resurrected Christ. Your daughter's a co-author. What made you want to collaborate with your daughter, Kristen? Uh, and, and what did she bring to the project that may have surprised you? Well, she uh, has always been a, a Christ-filled, spirit-filled prayer warrior hmm. uh, from an early age, and, and she has always inspired me in that way. I'm more of the head knowledge guy, and I hmm. need to pray hmm. more. I read the Bible, but I, I need to get my heart closer, and Kristen uh, has that balance. And she she inspires me in that way, and I always just, I always want to move in that direction. I think I've made some progress, but you have to exercise the spiritual disciplines as we've talked about before: yes. prayer, Bible reading, uh, journaling, and fasting, and the rest. Kristen uh, helped in all aspects of the book, but what she really did this time was to add prayers. I asked her to add prayers. Right. She has a facility for prayers, so every few pages we have prayers that are direct, not just abstract prayers but prayers directly related to the content of the book, which are designed to uh, get the reader to interact with the scripture and interact with the, the contents of the book, mm -hmm. which I think makes this book both a lay commentary and a devotional. Yeah, it's, it's kind of got a devotional aspect. I was going to ask you about that later, but you hit it already. Now, St. Paul was the apostle who never walked with Jesus uh, while he was on earth anyway. How did this set him apart from the other apostles, uh, Peter especially? And what does... Paul do that perhaps the others could not? Well, uh, you know, Paul came after the fact. The other apostles, in order to be an apostle, you had to uh, live, you had to walk with Christ, and you had to have witnessed his physical resurrection, mm -hmm. uh, and then to be appointed by him. Paul didn't have any of those attributes, any of those credentials. However, Christ is the, the ultimate ruler, the ultimate God, and he if he decides to make someone an apostle, he can do so. And so he did. And he met Paul on the Damascus Road. Mm -hmm. Why did he meet Paul, the persecutor of Jews, the mm -hmm. least likely person to, to be the uh, Christianity's premier evangelist? I think for several reasons. Um, one is he, he, was, he had so much zeal for God. He, 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 he had the wrong idea about the New Testament revelation. But he, he was, had a fervent heart, uh, heart for Yahweh, mm -hmm. and uh, he, he was brilliant. He was studied in Hebrew history. Right. He was studied in the Old Testament, and as we know, the Old Testament points to the New. He's uniquely situated mm. to preach, to evangelize. Uh, he was just the perfect guy, as it turns out, but who would have known but God? And he ended up, after he's uh, converted on, on the Emmaus Road, he ended up de dedicating his entire life fearlessly to promoting the gospel. And even when he was in prison, he might have uh, reached more converts mm -hmm. while in prison, uh, uh, house arrest in Rome, than he did when he was out on his missionary journeys. Just a, a remarkable yeah. man. Mm. Well, the seven chapters of the book correspond to each of the seven Pauline epistles, uh, you know, about which you're, you and, and Kristen are writing. Uh, for example, you subtitle Colossians, a defense against early heresies. Uh, One Timothy is subtitled Sound Doctrine in Christian Living. It, it sounds like Paul's epistles were really written uh, last week, given the cultural, political uh, climate we find ourselves in. And you wrote how these letters 
shed new light on the, the issues and the challenges we face today and how they reinforce and confirm the truth of Christ's resurrection uh, as a matter of faith and history. Absolutely. And, and how important it is. You know, when Paul was writing these, he was writing these to the churches that he established in the Mediterranean basin. Who knows if he knew at the time that his writings were divinely inspired? I assume he did know. But did he know the particulars that they would survive history and become scripture to benefit the rest of us mm -hmm. 2,000 years on? And that these same problems he wrote about would be timeless problems uh, as a result of man's mm -hmm. fall, as a result of man's tendency to be tempted by the flesh and, and the other temptations of the earth, and, and, and that, that the, the evil one who is conducting spiritual warfare on the earth and in, in, in attacking us invisibly would always be present, and we would, we would experience those challenges even in, in uh, the modern world today. And we mm -hmm. have the instruction manual from Paul, how to live our Christian mm -hmm. life, how to bring the church to toe if, if it's not a bang doctrine, uh, and so these things are, are timeless, and it's too bad that mo more people are trying to please man rather than God. They are uh, defying God's created order, especially mm. on the gender issue. God created man and woman. Man and woman, he created them. He didn't create us to identify narcissistically as whom, whomever we wanted to. We're all made in his image, and he said what sex we are. And so this whole thing, is, I, I believe, is diabolical, this, this trans stuff, this this parading of transvestites and, and, and in front of children, this uh, intentional murder of, of, of babies and glorification of babies, the mutilation of children in these operations, the uh, open borders where we have 100,000 fentanyl deaths. This is pure evil. It's objective evil. It is so evil that I don't see how anybody can deny it unless they're spiritually blind. And so that is my conclusion. This mm. is, this is uh, the result of spiritual forces behind the scenes. Before we run out of time, why should folks take the time to read the book? And what do you want them to apprehend reading The Resurrected Jesus? What did, what did you hope that they would come away with? Well, I, I like all these other books that I've written on the, in the New Testament, starting with the true Jesus, now Jesus is risen. I, I want them to, and Kristen, we want them to have a greater intimacy with Scripture, not be intimidated by it, to be inspired to read it because we believe it has the power of conversion. We believe that if you if you study the Bible, uh, you will become you'll come closer to God. It is, it is true north, Raymond, as you mm -hmm. and I agree. Mm -hmm. We have to pray. We have to uh, steep ourselves in Scripture uh, wow. uh, and let it affect our lives. It's a living Word of God, and we hope that through this lay commentary, this these books are not uh, the Word of God, but they are mm -hmm. books about the Word of God which are designed to help people understand it, make it more accessible, make it more exciting, give them a jump start. When I first became a Christian, a real believer, I didn't know where to get started. And right. I, I wanted somebody to help me. And I, these are kind of jump, there's all kinds of books out there. But one of the goals of this one is to jump start people who are a little mm -hmm. uncertain, little tentative, little insecure, give them a little jolt and help them get into it. Well, and it gives people a framework to go and then approach the epistles on their own. Otherwise, these letters get, you, you don't quite know how they fit in or what the general, what the historic setting was to so even true. interpret them properly. And that's why we tried to make these in chronological context mm -hmm. as, as opposed to the canonical order. In other words, we, we put this, uh, the epistles in this book in the order 
historians, biblical historians, actually believe they were written. Mm -hmm. Not exactly how the, the Bible has them uh, ordered in the canon. Excellent. We will leave it there. David Limbaugh, thank you for being here. The Resurrected <laughs> Jesus, The Church in the New Testament by David Limbaugh and Kristen Limbaugh. Bloom is available now in bookstores everywhere and online. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much, Rand. We'll talk soon. Finally this week, the Vatican Secretary of State, Cardinal Pietro Parolin, spoke at an EWTN dinner in Rome this week. He mentioned Pope Francis and the need for media to, quote, be capable of building bridges, defending life, and breaking down walls. We could not agree more. This has long been part of the mission of the world over from really the time Mother Angelica founded it and asked me to host the program, building bridges and defending life, particularly of those silent voices in far-flung parts of the world has always been a centerpiece of our coverage. Now, Christian and religious persecution has also been a defining hallmark of our reportage for 26 years. Interestingly, Cardinal Paroline quoted my friend and mentor, Mother Angelica, uh, during his address, and he said, quote, it is our duty to speak the truth, and each person can either assume or not assume this duty, but the truth must, above all, be within us. Well, who could disagree with that? But th the quote does need a little bit of correction. You see, Reverend Mother actually spoke that line to me personally. In fact, I included it in Mother Angelica's little book of life lessons in everyday spirituality. I guess that's where Cardinal Paroline's speechwriters or the Cardinal himself found it. Thank goodness you can look it up. Here's the full quote, and it made me go back and dig it out. We don't like to speak the truth about evil because we're going to hurt somebody. Let me tell you, you are going to hurt somebody, but that somebody is God. If you would rather hurt God than your neighbor, there's something wrong with your spirituality. It's your obligation to speak the truth, and everyone can either take it or leave it. But truth must be in us. We live in such poverty of the truth today. That Mother Angelica quote is really, has been, the guiding principle of the world over. It has animated our mission for all these years. The truth is a hard thing to convey. People attack you over it. They slander you over it. Just ask Jesus. But we try each week to convey that truth with facts, joy, charity, and love of the people we cover and serve, you. So thank you for sticking by us all these years, and may the truth long be in us. That is all the time we have for now. Be sure to catch us next week. Until then, we'll be scouting the world over for all that is seen and unseen. On behalf of the staff and crew of EWTN News, thank you for watching. I'm Raymond Arroyo. Bye now.